0: hello hi welcome to truly fabulously monstrous
1: a podcast about true crime and cryptids
0: i am half of your host hattie james
1: i am your other half of your host ace hi almost said kevin (laughs)
0: yes i, I could see it. It. i could see the the noise and then the buffering in your ace.
1: eyes it's ace now yes
0: how are you ace i'm
1: good i have a cat in my arms he's very very fluffy that's good okay he's done he wants to get down now okay bye. how is how are you Hattie?
0: I am well. I'm less lispy because I don't have the st- dental splint in because it was hurting my teeth. So I've got to call them and get them to readjust it. All right. Yeah. So I've
1: got <laughs> It's helping my jaw at the expense of my teeth.
0: Yeah. I don't want to lose my teeth. I don't have good dental insurance. Like, I can't even afford to get a cavity fixed, let alone um, get teeth yanked out fixed. <laughs> so. And they told me that TMJD is made worse with tooth loss. So I kind of want to keep these.
1: Yeah, um, initially, yeah, well, yeah, I can see that.
0: Yeah, they said it's because it changes your bite when your teeth shift.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely changes where the pressure points are. Plus, now you've got uh, like a void where there once was no void. Like there's yes. a hole that used to have something in it. So,
0: yeah. So we're, I'm trying to avoid that. It's like it's got to like fill
1: that in, yeah. So this is a this is a crime episode. Yes, it's yes. a crime
0: episode. Patty's oh. gonna tell me about a crime. Not a crime <laughs> per se, a criminal. Because we have been doing a lot of bummer, <sighs> and I sat there thinking, how am I gonna do a non bummer? Crimes are usually bummers. So I thought about like maybe people who deserved it. And then I realized that gets in some weird ethics I'm not ready to get into. Um, So then I thought of like funny crimes. So I Googled funny crimes and I don't want to tell you the searches I got. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, then I realized, well, what if instead of crimes, I did criminals? And then I remembered my favorite criminal, Mary Frith otherwise known as a mall cut purse
1: okay that name i'm familiar with yeah
0: yeah she was a 1600s criminal who became somewhat of a mythical figure in more recent times uh, since most of the history of her life was either fragmented prejudiced or embellished ellie into more of that later uh so what we do know of mary frith is that she was the daughter of a cobbler and she was born sometime around 1584 in Barbican on Aldersgate Street, which from a basic Google search, I was able to figure out that that is in the city of London. Um, The street got its name because of the location. Aldergate Street is located where the Aldergate used to be, which is the northern gate on the original London wall that at one point enclosed the original city of London back in like 200 AD to whenever the the wall fell. Yeah. So something worth noting about London at the time when Mary was around, uh, this was Tudor and Stuart, London. Uh, separation of church and state was not a thing. In fact, people were traveling to the Americas due to religious persecution. Uh, so the <laughs> That's law, funny how that works out. <laughs> yeah. So the law and church were very much hand in hand. Uh, and some things that were definitely religiously motivated were like, women were not allowed to perform. They were not allowed to be in plays. Okay. So, so
1: that's why like all of Shakespeare's plays had like men in dress. Yes. Yes. Okay. My next
0: thing in my notes says so all parts in plays had to be done by men and cross-dressing was not okay. However, since men had to perform women's parts in plays, I guess it was okay for men to perform in cross-dress, but women performing, no. And women... Cross dressing, no. So, Uh, so
1: cross. It it, it was only okay for men to be cross dressing if the if the theater was involved. But if they were doing it like just day to day life, like out on the street, man wakes up and goes, "I'd like to wear a dress today." No, that wasn't okay.
0: I'm guessing it would not have been okay. I'm guessing the church would have tried to find some crime to get him examined for. The church
1: usually does. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, So prior to Henry VIII's dissolution of the monasteries during England's religious reformation, uh, a lot of the poor sought comfort and relief from the church. But after Henry VIII decided to go, no, Pope, I'm Pope, I'm Supreme (laughs) Head of Church of England, and dissolve the monasteries. I'm the Pope now. (laughs) Yeah, after the monasteries were dissolved, uh, the city of London was left with uh, the same amount of poor people, I uh, well, yeah, think that
1: works out.
0: Yeah, but no, no churches to help with relief. So by about 1547, the city of London itself had foundations that were paid for with taxpayer money, and a lot of private foundations and charities were opened up. The ones run by the city usually just handed out grain in times of scarcity, mm-hmm. kind of like uh, what I think of as like in uh, the, the Joseph, King of yeah, Dreams. Yeah, like. yeah. yeah. Yeah, how they they stored they would store extra food and they would ration it out in times of scarcity. Yep. Not in ancient Egypt, though, in like 1600s, 16th century, 17th century London.
1: So not in Egypt, no coat of many colors. No. Mm. Oh, that's sad.
0: Yeah. And a lot of the private charities not only helped with the overwhelming need for support, but they also um, helped reconstitute the five London hospitals, I had them listed, but I didn't put them in the notes I printed. So the five (laughs) London hospitals, yay. Um, So the age of expansion brought industrialization in the form of silk weaving, glass production, should have looked up how to say this, Uh, Mahalika pottery making, as well as shipbuilding, merchant navies and the like. And this, so all these new jobs coming to London paired with the knowledge that London had relief for the poor meant that by about 1600, the city of London and all the surrounding suburbs and the, the adjacent city of Westminster had over 220,000 people in it. And city officials tried to prevent the overcrowding by enacting laws. They were trying to- uh, I
1: just, I, I loved, I'm just getting this visual. They're like, oh, there's too many people. We need to take steps against the too many people. Hey, hey, stop being so many people.
0: The main thing they were trying to do is uh, stopping pestering, which was uh, the act of subdividing one house into a densely packed dwelling. So that's when you get like... Yeah, like when you... You, see, you like. I don't know if you're on history TikTok, but I am, and I'll get the things. It's like shopping for a home in 17th century England. It's like, oh, this is a very spacious house. It's three rooms. Oh, but I share it with 10 people. That, that was what pestering was, was yeah. they would take a house that was meant for like one family and pack 10 people into it. Uh, so anyways, so now we have an overcrowded city that's ever expanding at this point the city of London and the city of Westminster and all the little settlements around it are now becoming known as just London mm-hmm. and they are densely packed with poor and impoverished people and it's well known among the criminal justice sociology and psychology experts that crime ravishes communities more prevalently in poor inner city neighborhoods than it does in more mm-hmm. affluent and enriched neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Holzman Escarano has an article called The Cause of Crime, which I would really suggest reading. It's eight pages is really good. I could not do it justice talking about it. Uh, But he explains in it. In that in the cause of crime that deprivation of proper education creates a lack of quality jobs and therefore a lack of resources and material goods and then the cycle continues then he further states that crime is an opportunity for the poor who have been stripped and robbed of the opportunity to get these material goods to acquire these materials that they could otherwise not afford okay yeah so going back to mary like I said, we don't know a lot. Uh, Historic.uk states, though, that she was doomed to a life of impoverished servitude, only to be escaped in marriage. as she was a strong and healthy girl of humble backgrounds. I just, that's
1: such a, that is such a bummer, though, that it's like, well, you have two choices.
0: It was, that was the terrible
1: impoverishment, or just marrying some dude and still kind of being just downtrodden and sad forever because you're a woman and you have no rights
0: well that was the convention at the time if you were born poor terrible
1: terrible convention i hate it
0: yeah if you were a man and you were born poor you worked until you died if you were a woman and you were born poor you worked until you got married and then you bore children until you died so either way
1: you worked until you died
0: yeah Uh, Mary, however, did not like this. She pretty much looked around and went, hmm, no, I'm built different. (laughs) uh, And decided that she was going to be different.
1: All right. I like her already.
0: (laughs) Uh, Throughout her adolescence, she did things that were not acceptable for even a impoverished young lady to do.
1: Look, she had opinions.
0: No, she hung around boys. (gasps) She swore. Yes. Uh, she watched cudgel fights, which, uh, from what I looked up, a cudgel is a sort of like... It's like a stick. It's like a,
1: like a policeman's baton.
0: Yeah, so she would be watching and betting on these cudgel fights.
1: Uh, so from an
0: early age, she's not acting like a young woman, and she's getting into trouble with a bunch of boys. She's acting like a roaring boy, and a roaring boy was what they considered rowdy, loud criminal, (laughs) intent-filled boys from low standing who tried to act like they were in higher standing and did things that were not socially conventional to even people in lower standing. And she acted like a roaring boy, but she was a girl. So people were like, what? Her family was like, what? Some sources say that her parents died when she was young and she learned to take care of herself. All sources say that the way she learned to take care of herself was becoming a cut purse. Cut purse is what we today would call a pickpocket. Apparently the modus operandi that she would use with her cronies, with her boy acquaintances is um, one of her accomplices would distract a rich person and she would take a knife and cut the strings of their purse and <laughs> run away with it. And she was said- so to be a literal spoiled. cut purse. Yes, that's what <laughs> the name is because you literally cut their purse. So, and she, apparently she was so nimble and so quick at this, that she would be long gone before the person even realized that their, their purse was missing. They, didn't, they wouldn't even feel the tug. So, it's thought that her first arrest was in August of 1600 for cutting purses, and again in 1602 for the same thing. So at this point, her remaining relatives, some sources say just her uncle, but regardless, whatever relatives were around and helping to raise her in the absence of her parents, decided that she needed to go. (laughs) She needed to go. Uh, So they lured her to the docks. Again, some sources say with the pretense of going to bet on a fight, but some say they just lured her to the docks. And instead of, you know, bringing her to a fight or whatever, they forced her aboard a ship heading to the Americas.
1: Oh, so go. They didn't just mean move out. They meant leave England.
0: <laughs> yes, they meant get out, go, never darken our doorstep again, never sully the streets of our beloved, disgusting city. Take your cudgels and
1: go. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, Mary wasn't having this. <laughs> there's two different stories because again, there's a lot of myth around this. Yes. She either used the money that she had brought to bet on the, the the cudgel fight to convince the people on the ship to let her go or she jumped <laughs> overboard and swam back to shore. <laughs>
1: either either way way, pretty ballsy
0: (laughs) yeah either way pretty ballsy either way she got back to london and at this point she was on her own i mean she can't go back to the relatives who literally threw her on a ship to the americas doesn't have parents uh and this is where she decided she was going to adopt male dress permanently permanent cross dresser
1: I love it. Love she it. Spent,
0: love to see it. She spent her time doing as she did prior, being a cut purse, watching and betting on fights and being generally rowdy, but she also decided in her new male garb to start performing in taverns and eventually in tobacco shops. She would banter with the audience, sing songs, dance, and play the lute. All sources assume that her performances were obscene. <laughs> <laughs> which would further added to the severity of what she was doing. Again, women were not supposed to be performing nor cross-dressing and were supposed to be proper and modest sources of purity. Boring. And here comes Maul performing lewd and crude and lascivious shows in cross-dress and some sources say that her shows were all just part of a crime scheme that she would get up in male garb and perform these lewd and crude shows that people would be like that is a woman performing in drag and it's obscene and they'd be so distracted by what was on stage that her accomplices could go and cut purse to everyone in the audience
1: you keep saying like their shows were lewd i'm just imagining that like halfway through her lewd performance she just gets like she just whips a tit out
0: (laughs) no i don't think it was like that i think it was more like she did banter
1: like dirty drinking songs like yeah yeah
0: uh, I should also mention that she did not have a license to perform, which in London you needed a license to perform. Probably you need a because... license
1: for everything in London. You need a license yeah. to, like, own a car. You need a license... Well, I mean... You need a license
0: to loan a, own a car anyways. It's yeah, I know, own. I know, but I'm just, like, what am I thinking?
1: Parking tax. I'm thinking of the parking tax. Uh, like... yeah.
0: But she probably didn't have a license to perform because she was a woman, but it's just another law she disregarded and I thought of mentioning it. So my favorite story that I kept running into was that a man named William Banks bet Mary 20 pounds that she wouldn't or couldn't ride from Charing Cross to Shoreditch while dressed as a man. So Mary looked at him, said bet, borrowed his famous performing horse, Morocco, well known at the time for being referenced in Shakespearean plays. Like this is a Shakespearean horse. This is a (laughs) famous performing horse. This guy owned the horse. Said, "I bet you can't ride a horse in drag from Charing Cross to Shoreditch." She said, "Bet." Got on the got on his famous horse, and not only did so, but did so while flaunting a banner and blowing a trumpet.
1: <laughs> like, what kind of lady could type this?
0: <laughs> beautiful, a beautiful. I love
1: it. Love to see it.
0: Yeah. Uh, She was also considered the first female smoker in England and almost... (laughs) The first female (laughs) smoker in
1: England who smoked in public, let's be real. There were probably a lot of women smoking in England that were doing it like in the pantry when no one else was home and like opening the window and just like, okay, gotta waft this out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, every single depiction of her I could find was a wood carving of her, fully dressed as a man, doublet, hat, you name it, with a pipe in her mouth. (laughs) And she is said to have enjoyed this attention and relished in making people uncomfortable with her deviation from convention. (laughs) Although, as we discussed, she didn't just break convention. She also broke church convention. And eventually that led to her getting in a little bit of trouble. She was arraigned on September 25th, 1611 for lewd conduct and accused of prostitution. Uh Uh-oh. Uh, She was examined by the Bishop of London and confessed to flaunting male attire, blaspheming, swearing, being a drunkard, and keeping a lewd and dissolute company on January 27th of 1612, although she denied being a prostitute and she also denied leading or encouraging other ladies to the profession.
1: I never charged
0: money! No, well, the reason for the suspicion of her being a prostitute is because according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, arrest records at the time indicate that uh, female prostitutes often dressed as men in order to covertly visit their clients while avoiding the attention of authorities. So the fact that- Oh, genius,
1: though. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing to see here. Just a poker buddy leaving a poker game with my good gentleman friends, of which I am
0: one. (laughs) yeah, I have a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> so February twelfth, sixteen twelve, Mary Frith was made to do penance at St. Paul's Cross, which is a the, pul- the pulpit at the churchyard in front of St. Paul's Cathedral. Made to do penance. penance. Yes, okay, uh, so
1: uh, being raised Catholic, I know what that means for me, which is just you go into, and this is gonna sound awful, you go into a dark closet with a priest. You tell him all your sins. And then he goes, Are you sorry for your sins? And you lie and you say, Yes, Father, I am sorry for my sins. And then he says, You are forgiven of your sins. And then he tells you a list of prayers that you have to then go say. So then you go kneel down in a church and you stare at the altar and you pretend like you're praying for 15 minutes. But really, you're 10 years old and you're sitting there going, god this church smells like incense and then you leave and go back to class now what does penance mean for this
0: woman (laughs) this is a punishment from the church this is public penance so this means probably i i thought i at one point i found a source saying that she was wearing just like a white sheet like kind of like a baptismal robe uh, but i couldn't find anything other than that and then it's the same like it's a public like that, but in public, praying in public, everyone's around. Gather around to watch this slovenly woman do penance.
1: Well, at least there weren't like stocks or like a the thing with the hood where it's the thing in your mouth and there's a razor and if you move your, tongue yeah. your used, tongue. That uh, s- yeah, that was usually punishment to women. Yeah,
0: that was you. That was usually punishment for women like her. Yeah. Um, but no, they just made her do public penance and according to an observer john chamberlain she wept with remorse during the penance and put on a real spectacle she was sobbing and praying praying loudly and god forgive me for my sins and transgressions however her sincerity was doubted when it was later discovered that she was drunk while giving penance yes Yes! i love this woman (laughs) She was drunk while giving penance for being a lewd cross-dressing drunk. I'm just saying, well, when you're drunk, your performance meter is going to go up. (sighs) Uh, So at some point between probably like 1614 and 1620, it really, I couldn't find a source to give me an exact thing by 1620 maybe as early as 1614, uh, Mary realized that it was better to become a fence than it was a cut purse. A fence, for those who don't know, is a mover. So that's somebody who buys stolen goods from a petty thief.
1: You're the chop shop.
0: Yeah, and then they sell the the, the stolen goods for a profit. Right. Usually, they're the middleman between a thief and a res- uh, reputable buyer. So, Oh, uh, you're the pawn shop.
1: She's the pawn shop.
0: Yeah, it's usually like, hey, I know that this ring is stolen, but I'm going to sell it to the nice man down on his luck who wants to propose to his beloved for five times the price that I bought it from the petty thief. Usually those who buy from fences don't know they're buying stolen goods, although that's not what the sources say Mary did. It said that thieves would sell her stolen goods, and then the person the the thief robbed from would come searching for the stolen goods, at which point Mary would sell them their goods back for a profit. I love her. I stole
1: this candelabra. Fantastic. I'll buy the candelabra from you. Great. I'm looking for my candelabra that got stolen. You mean this candelabra? Yes. Cool. $500. (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do about it?
0: Well, that's the thing. A lot of times they just coughed up the money because getting their items back that way was a lot cleaner than going through the messy court because at this time there was then no police. Would
1: know, like, pe- then you'd be like pushed into the spotlight and then you'd be like people would gossip. and mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and there was no uniform police at the time. So there wasn't yeah, like a uniform yeah. p- procedure. So this was just easier. It was cleaner. Mary knew it. She took advantage of it. And she situated her her business at her house that she bought on the north side of Fleet Street. Fleet Street? Yes. Do you mean Fleet Street where Sweeney Todd lives? Yes, that Fleet Street. (laughs) But like (laughs) 200 years before Sweeney Todd was there. Yeah,
1: in addition to being raised Catholic, I was also a theater kid.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So authorities apparently knew all about the operation she was running and they allowed it to happen. Because they started using her as a useful resource when looking to arrest or try petty thieves. But the thieves, likewise, permitted her relationship with the police and kept doing business with her. Because she would then, in turn, take information she garnered from the police in working with the police and give it to the thieves. <laughs> so she was kind of being She's a playing double both agent. To the table. <laughs> yeah, to make sure her business kept running.
1: Well, tough times.
0: And this is the we part I... Do. Yeah, this part I appreciated the most. So her sexuality and her gender was has been speculated. It probably was back then, even though they didn't really have the words for it. I don't think right. in 1600s, uh, but regardless of what anyone suspected, on March 23rd, 1614, Mary ma- married Mary married a man named Luke Nora Markham. Although it was probably a marriage of convenience. Uh, when she died, her will and testament made it apparent that they never lived together. And she also couldn't even recall how long they'd been married. <laughs> and a lot of sources even state that it's possible that she didn't even have any interest in sex. So I thought that was pretty yeah, that interesting. Uh, and she ran her business without him. It's likely she got married so that she could have the social status of a married woman to help her run her oh-so-reputable middleman <laughs> fence business. Um, but on top of that... I would never
1: take advantage of you in this, my fencing business. I'm a married woman.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, she was also able to argue legal cases against her by stating she was married so because a lot of legal cases were under Mary Frith and then she could go to court and be like um this case is for against Mary Frith I am Mary Markham <laughs> I have a husband now this case is null and void and it worked ah <laughs> uh, loopholes yes loopholes uh she also accounted later in her life that she eventually became a pimp but oh but, uh, but There is probably evidence that she did find female sex workers for male clients, but the thing she was most well known for doing was starting a lucrative business in the male escort line of the London middle class. So lonely middle class housewives would come to her with, let's call it a need, and she would fashion young merchant Navy men, young Down on their luck, attractive men to go and just be their escort. Boy toys. Boy toys. Boy toys. Yes. So,
1: okay, so yeah, she's working Jed, the sex workers, but like not in the way people would think.
0: (laughs) No, she didn't. It's there's no evidence that she like exploited women kidnapped women did anything that would be considered like the Mm -hmm. sex trade it was a lot of like men coming to look for work and then women coming to look for men and her (laughs) just boy do
1: i have the cougar for you
0: yes exactly (laughs) So, do i have
1: the sugar mama for you
0: (laughs) yeah Uh, so eventually around the 1640s mary was incarcerated at Bethlehem hospital for insanity but was released in 1644 after being quote-unquote cured. Uh, I don't know what that means. Literally the only thing I could find was like it goes from talking about her being a pimp to in 1644 Mary was released from Bethlehem Hospital after being cured from insanity. In 1659 when she was around 74 years old the Newgate calendar stated and I quote, Maul, being grown crazy in her body and discontented in mind she yielded to the next distemper that approached her which was dropsy a disease which had such oh, strange God. and terrible symptoms that she thought she was possessed and that the devil had got her within her doublet that spell of dropsy is what ended up killing her and she was buried in saint bride's churchyard on fleet street in london and hey, i have to look, look something up what dropsy is no, I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm thinking, I I seem to
1: remember an it's- episode of Sawbones where they're like, yeah, dropsy's not a thing. No, it's, it's,
0: uh, okay, so they it, used it, to- It's like, it's
1: edema, isn't it? It's like yes. congestive heart failure. So, and
0: edema. so back before modern medicine, even within the last like hundred years, when before yeah. we knew a lot about what went on in the body, a lot of times- we just made sim- stuff up. <laughs> no, the symptom was considered the disease, like scarlet yeah. fever, typhoid fever. Dropsy was what we now call edema. So something happened to her. She got severe edema at the time. They called it dropsy, and she died. Um, so she was buried at St. Bride's Churchyard on Fleet Street in London. Her epitaph was written by John Milton, and it read, For no- Is John com- Milton? Yes. Ooh. i think so i think so like i'm just i'm thinking like english
1: poet john milton
0: yes oh yeah she, she had celebrity status oh that's so cool oh i love her okay so <laughs> her epithet by john milton wrote for no communion she had nor sorted with the good nor bad that when the world shall be calcin and mixed mass of human kind shall separate that melting fire she stand alone and none come nigher i like that yeah speaking of
1: with neither good nor bad i beg to differ
0: (laughs) speaking of melting in fire that headstone was just destroyed during the great london fire in 1666 so this is a um again one of those allegedly john milton wrote this epitaph but we have no evidence of it so during her life because she had celebrity status there were a few plays written about her There was a 1610 drama called The Mad Pranks of Mary Mall of the Bankside, which was written by John Day. Unfortunately, it's been lost to time. There are no surviving texts.
1: I'm noticing a theme here.
0: (laughs) However, the other was the 1611 play The Roaring Girl by Thomas Middleton and Thomas Decker. I have read The Roaring Girl and it's, well, it's not Shakespeare. I definitely had to look up the interpretation after I read it. In the only copy I could find, it's, it's on Google Books, okay. and it's the original where the there's the long S's, which they did by just typing an F. But they depicted her as what's called a, a virago or a heroine. In 17th century light, they did not show her favorably. At one point, they called her like a man woman or something. Mm-hmm. However, if you read it in contemporary light, she's not that bad. <laughs> In 1662, there was a posthumous uh, biography written about her called The Life of Mrs. Mary Frith, which became sensationalized, and contemporary historians understand that a lot of it is fabricated and embellished, which makes it very difficult to get the real truth about her life. Uh But we do know from her arrest record and from John Chamberlain's note about her penance that she definitely did exist.
1: Her drunken, drunken pen.
0: <laughs> yeah, and from that Newgate calendar statement on her dropsy. So there is record of her life. It's just a lot of it is what is truth and what is not is up to speculation, has been lost in history. I love her. And I think no matter what it is, like I think she'd be proud of of this. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Sounds like a riot. <laughs>
0: yeah so uh the sources i used were obviously the play the roaring girls the the cause and i did read the cause of crime by anthony holzman Escarino uh when i was getting the backstory i used wikipedia as i always do because whoever taught that wikipedia is not a reputable source needs to burn in hell well it it wasn't when it first started but it heck it is now yeah like i donate to
1: wikipedia when i can
0: like yeah uh, I also use the Encyclopedia Britannica because I love it. Uh, HistoricUK.com and the website for the East End Women's Museum.
1: The fact that she had celebrity status, like she was such a obvious, like, quote, criminal, but like with celebrity status, that just gives me like Jay Gatsby vibes. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, love it.
0: And I feel like after a session of bummer episodes a lewd cross-dressing drunk woman who smoked a pipe and rode a famous horse across <laughs> london blowing on a trumpet was was much needed
1: <laughs> the trumpet part is
0: phenomenal
1: yeah okay, not only do i take your bet i'm going to do it in the most obnoxious way possible <laughs> oh
0: yeah it was is i think the if i had to guess the bet was like you're gonna get in trouble you're gonna draw too much attention you're gonna get arrested the church is gonna you're inspect arrested you Arrested for being
1: a woman in public
0: <laughs> yeah well no because because it was the bet was explicitly i bet you can't ride a horse from charing cross to shoreditch wall dressed as a man so i think it's because that it was a very busy area yeah it was a very populous area she would have caught people's attention. People would have noticed it was a, a woman, woman the horse is
1: wearing pants.
0: Yeah. So she went, "Okay, you think I'm going to get arrested riding a horse because I'm a woman dressed as a man? I'm going to draw attention to myself and I'm still not going to get arrested."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's what my guess is. If I had to guess, that's what the bet was on. Yeah. So, I love her. I, I'm I, s- I also
1: love her now i'm gonna thank sh- you for thank you for bringing this woman into my life
0: you're welcome i'm going to send you a picture of of maul i'll add these to the instagram when we upload the episode excellent, excellent. all right <laughs> oh, i love her <laughs> with a sword yes with a sword and a pipe and a hat and doublets and garters and little flowers on her shoes <laughs> And ruffly collars.
1: the ruffly, yeah, well, you know, Elizabethan times and whatnot.
0: Yeah. Uh, The main thing is, like, she was from an impoverished background. And uh, the thing about London, I remember I took a, when I did my study abroad in London, I took a class that was the history of England. And the thing we learned about is, while there's no denying that there's xenophobia and there's racism and sexism prevalent in, in England. Yes. While America, it's big thing is racism. In England, what the big thing has always been is classism. So it's been to the point where there were laws at one point restricting certain classes from wearing certain colors and wearing certain garments. Yeah. So you could not rise. If you were born of a cobbler, you could not rise. That's why there's such a taboo on quote unquote social climbers. And Maul came from a shoemaker. And eventually owned a home, owned a business, and the clothes they dressed as as a man were above their station. Love it. Yeah. Love it. They didn't justify the conventions of being a woman who dressed like a man. They didn't just divide conventions of being an open criminal, Mm -hmm. of being a female performer. They defied conventions in the garbs that they, they wore, in the fact that they owned a business, coming from the background they did and that's why i love her she basically said i see your classism and i raise you my middle fingers
1: love it love to say it
0: yeah <sighs> da, 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 da. Hey. we need to come up with a better
1: way to transition into the ending <laughs> <laughs> just like well time for some awkward silence
0: I don't know the da da that we've done that now like five episodes in a row. So yeah, let's we just cont-
1: Sure. Okay, let's just keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh I guess you could tune into the next episode, which will be a Hattie Tells us
0: Spoopy. No, oh, yeah, I tell us spoopy. Yes.
1: That is that is the that is how things yes. Yeah correct
0: yeah but if you have any um if you have anything you want to tell us any questions comments concerns any stories you want us to share you just want to say hello uh you can find us by emailing us at truly fabulously monstrous at gmail.com you can also find us on instagram at truly fabulously monstrous
1: and you can find us on twitter at tfabmonsterpod.
0: yes yeah. so yeah so Tune in next time. As A said, I will be telling you all a spoop.
1: All right. We'll be there and we hope you will too.
0: Bye. Bye.